Good morning, good morning, and God bless you today. I'm so glad I serve a God who is still working when I'm sleeping, still working when I'm aware, unaware of what's going on. I don't have to worry because it, he's working for me, and it's intentional. Yeah, I'm not getting blessings because just because somebody else is getting blessed. No, it's not, it's not the runoff. Although God's runoff is good. I'll take that any day, but that's not it. He's intentionally blessing me. Yeah, it's on purpose that he's blessing me. God bless you today. It's so good to be back in the house of the Lord one more time, as we said. You know, I've I was talking to my wife a few weeks ago and telling her how much I miss the pattern of church, how we go about doing stuff and greeting people. And I know the Cyber Sanctuary brings us a, in my opinion, a version of worship. But it's not the version that includes all the fellowship, which to me enhances the relationship. And I'm so prayerful for the day when we'll all get a chance to come in and have that full effect, uh, the full effect of church. I, uh, I can tell you personally that I miss that. I want to see you in this space. I want to see your face in here. I want you to be excited and bring that excitement to a worship opportunity because we feed on that. We live on that. That's all important. I want to hear how God has been good to you from one Sunday to the next. Yeah, I want to hear what's happened in your life on Tuesday and Thursday. I want to hear those things because all those things feed our relationship. So keep on praying. Keep on doing right. Why are you saying that, Reverend Spaulding? Wear your masks. Get your vaccination. <laughs> do all the things we got to do to bring this thing to an end. Don't jump out there too early and have us going back into another situation where we are locked down. Because as they say, uh, as they've been saying, the numbers are going back up a little bit. And that's because we putting, we're, we've been putting recreation before purpose. We gotta be serious about what we're doing. So please do all the things they've been asking us to do, but just hold on just a little while longer. And I think we'll get there. Amen, 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 because I, I miss you, I miss you. We started the sermon series a few, a week or so ago that we've entitled Paradox, Paradox, yeah, yeah, Paradox, which from our standpoint is truth in contradiction, statements that seem to contradict one another, but in fact, Lying under that contradiction is a truth that you and I need to employ in our Christian walk. And last, last time we got together, we told you that you ought to always give them more than they expect. Yeah, always give them more than they expect. That's what Jesus said. He said, if, if one of them asks you to go a mile, understand why in your Christian walk going two miles is a gift of love. Always give them more than you expect, than they expected. And today we're going to 
stick a pen in another paradoxical statement that Jesus Christ uh, gave to his disciples. And I believe that this too will enrich your lives. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The paradoxical statement is found in verse 10. But in order for you to get the context of it, I think I need to start reading around verse 7. And it reads as follows. And I'm starting reading in the middle of the verse because that's how verse 7 is written. Or because of these surpassing great revelations is how verse 7 begins. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, help me, Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Watch this now, verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Here we go. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How in the world can you be strong if you're standing in the hardship, persecution, difficulties line? How can you be, wrong, be strong under those circumstances? The last week, in the last few weeks, the country has been, has been riveted by a trial that's been going on in Minneapolis, Minnesota. George Floyd was murdered there. Courts are trying to determine the guilt of the perpetrator of his murder. Our community has already convicted him. We don't have any doubt that that police officer who put his knee on the neck of that man for nine minutes plus is guilty. But what I've been disturbed about is the portrayal of George as in a negative light. And I thought this morning we might need to have a different perspective on who George Floyd is or was. Not from the perspective of the defense counsel and the parade of witnesses that they have, but from people who knew him. George Floyd was a towering man. He was six feet, six inches tall. He grew up in Houston, in Houston's third ward. That's on the southeast side of Houston. Some years ago, some, some um, governmental sociologists deemed that area of the country the 15th most dangerous area in the whole United States. That's where he grew up. He was tough. He grew up in a tough place. He was one of the ones who admittedly terrorized the community. He had a 
criminal record that supported that. But then what they won't tell you too much in that courtroom is that God got a hold of him and started using him as an instrument to reach the same neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became a mentor to generations of young men coming through there. He wanted to try to help break the cycle of violence and use the influence that came with being an OG, original gangster, to kind of change their mindset. People in the Third War referred to him as Big Floyd, and they regarded him as a community leader. They respected him. They thought he was an elder statesman. Yeah. They are uh, not hard to listen to when they have respect in communities like that. When they have street credibility, it comes better. Not the men in suits, but the dude sitting next to you with them J's on is probably who you're going to listen to. He was one of those people. George used his reputation to connect Houston's Resurrection Church with the people in the local housing community. They call it the BRICS. That's the name of the housing community. One of the, uh, one of the people that were uh, interviewed shortly after his death was the pastor there, Patrick Nguallo. And he said that George Floyd was a person of peace, sent from the Lord that helped the gospel go forward in a place that he had never personally lived in. He says that the platform for us to reach that neighborhood and the hundreds of people we reached through that time up until the time that Floyd died was only because of people like George Floyd. The church expanded its involvement in that area. They held Bible studies. They bought groceries. They did all the things that churches are supposed to do, took people to doctor's appointments. All the things that they couldn't do for themselves, they offered a helping hand. And George Floyd was in the center of that. And he didn't just help provide access and protection to folk, he also did the hard work of being a servant in that community. Yeah, he helped plan three-on-three basketball tournaments and put on barbecues and helped with the community baptisms. One of the leaders that said George Floyd turned the baptism pool over in the parking lot and he made it accessible to all of us. He made us able to meet the Lord on the place where we live. This is George Floyd. The rapper Ronnie Lillard said he helped push the baptism tub over. Come on now, think about that. He also understood because of what Ronnie said that people were going to make a decision of faith and get baptized right there in the middle of the projects, the same place that they had been terrorized and they were brought to Christ. And it was because of someone... Not unlike you and me, but his name was George Floyd. George had moved to Minnesota in 2018 to be a part of a discipleship program. And the discipleship program included job placement. He had plans to go back to Houston and continue in his work the summer that he was killed. He wanted to continue that ministry, but of course you and I know this, the end of that story. Lillian said that he would be immortalized in Third Ward. That the people there would never forget him. Why? Because they put a mural up to remind them that George Floyd 
was in fact a part of that community forever. And he said that generations to come would know who Big Floyd was. People who knew him personally will remember him as a positive light, not because of how he died, but because of how he lived. His life was more than, an ep than a footnote at the end of a chase by police. He made a difference in folks' lives. Even though his death was violent, his life ended in a peaceful process because he was trying to bring people to Christ. And I'm going to say this, I believe God is going to use George Floyd's death just like he used his life to bring about a change in this country. George Floyd had some problems. Nobody said that you had to be perfect to be used by the Lord. I don't know why people keep trying to get into the perfect line because they think that's the only way God can use them. He had some areas of brokenness. We all have areas of brokenness, things that we're struggling with, but the question becomes, what are you doing with your brokenness? Watch this. Do you even acknowledge your areas of brokenness? If the truth be told, we all got them. And this last year, dealing with this pandemic has only exposed some areas to us, made the situations that were bad even worse in some areas. A whole lot of people wear masks so they can hide their brokenness. We've been wearing them the last year for the COVID safety precautions, but the truth of the matter is even without this cloth facial covering, we wear masks all the time. Yeah, people hope that nobody will notice the fracture in their lives, the problems in their lives. They, we pay attention to outward appearances, hoping nobody's going to really see what's going on on the inside. But in reality, it only keeps people from experiencing true happiness, true joy. Can I tell you something? There is a real blessing Enjoy, and that's what I want to talk about today to you. I want to talk about the blessing of brokenness. The blessing of brokenness. The blessing that comes with brokenness. And I believe it's underpinned, undergirded by Paul's so emphatic statement when he says, For when I am weak, then I'm not strong. Stick a pen in that. There's a story in the Old Testament that I believe gives blood, gives life to the blessing of brokenness. What can, be, what can be the good that comes from acknowledging the hurt and the pain that comes in your life? What good can come of that? What, what, can, you, what can you grow to if you let the stuff that's been holding you back go? How far can you go for the Lord if you're willing to stop standing in that space of hurt, that space of problem, that space of difficulty? If you're willing to stand there and just be your authentic self, how far and what can you do for the Lord? And not just the Lord, not just in that stand, from that standpoint, for yourself, for your family, for your community. What all can be accomplished? Turn to Genesis chapter 32 for me and let's walk through and see someone who was able to work through brokenness in their life and do dynamic things for the Lord. Genesis chapter 32, around verse 22, we start talking about Jacob. 
with. We know Jacob, he's one of the old patriarchs of the Bible. But getting him to the place that made him legendary took some time. He didn't set out to be one of the patriarchs. No, he just simply came out of a family that was fractured, that was divisive, came out of a family that had its own basic issues. He took some of those into adulthood with him, like many of us. We come out of dysfunctional families and we drag that dysfunction into our own families and somehow it seeps in. At some point you got to be able to or be willing to break the cycle of dysfunction and acknowledge that that's where you stand. But verse 22 of chapter 32 in Genesis says, The same night he arose and he took his two wives, two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabuk of the river. Jacob is about to enter the promised land, the land that God had promised him and his descendants. He's about to cross over into it. For him, historically, it represents a land of blessing. 23 and 24 says, he took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had went with them. And Jacob, watch this now, was left alone. It's amazing what you can discover when you're the only one there. When you don't have to put on a face for anybody. When you don't have to act like you're one way when you're not. When it's just you and your thoughts. And while he was there for a moment with himself, a man showed up. And Jacob, according to scripture, you've heard this before in Sunday school, Jacob got into a wrestling match with that man. Oh yeah, and he wrestled Reggie with that man all night long, all night long. The Bible says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And it's interesting. Here's Jacob. Here's this man who we find out later, Richard, is not a man. But in reality, that man is God that Jacob is wrestling with. And Jacob wrestles there with him all night long. Watch this now. Jacob is there by himself. God shows up. And in reality, God and Jacob are wrestling. Jacob is wrestling with, with what God wants him to be. But, but Jacob isn't fit for what God wants to use him for. And so they wrestle with this situation. And the Bible says, the Bible says they stayed there all night long. Not a quick situation, Destiny. All night long until the break of day. Watch this. Can I tell you, there is no blessing going to come to you without some agony and some tears. It's not going to happen. Not without some agony and tears. You got to go through something. All right? Verse 25 continues. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, because Jacob was hard-headed and stubborn, the man reached out and touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. See, at some point in your life, you're going to reach a, a point where your natural abilities aren't going to get you where you want to go. Yeah, and Jacob up until that point, Karen, had been a fighter. He had been a good fighter too, Melanie. He had fought his brother, Esau, and he won that fight. He got his birthright and he got his blessing. He had been a fighter and he fought his uncle, Laban, 
and he won that fight. He ended up taking great riches and resources and, and got the daughters out of there. He had been a fighter, but now he's reached some, a point where he's fighting someone and he can't win. There's a man he cannot beat. And so the man he's fighting, because he's not a, a man, but in, in essence God, the man cripples him in the strongest part of his body, touches his hip. There's a doctor who said that the hip bone is the strongest bone in your body. Yeah. And this man reaches out and touches him in his hip, and he breaks his hip. Yeah. At the point where Jacob is strongest, the area where he has his greatest confidence, this man breaks him in that point, pulls it out of joint, and now, and leaves a reminder because Jacob from that point forward walked with a limp. As a reminder, come here, Paul, I had a thorn in my side. Walks with a limp for the rest of his life as a reminder of his brokenness. This supernatural being that he's wrestling with, who's much stronger than Jacob, breaks him down in the area of self-confidence and self-sufficiency. I hope you hear me here. There's no blessing without such a blessing. There's no need for God to be your all-sufficiency if you are self-sufficient. And if you want the blessing that comes from God, then you have got to let God, first of all, break you of your self-sufficiency. I realize it may have gotten you where you are before, up until that point. But you got to let God break you of your self-confidence. In those areas that you think you're the strongest, before he can make you truly strong, he's got to be in charge. Watch this. Chuck Swindle once said this. When God wants to use a man greatly, he must first hurt him deeply. And that's been true if you go back and look through the biblical history you'll see is true of all God's chief servants. Watch this. Before God used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, this pampered, adopted son living in Pharaoh's court, he first had to break him of the sufficiency of Pharaoh's temple and send him out in the desert for 40 years before he could use him. He had to break him of all the comforts that he had been used to and strip him down to his core. It made him a shepherd for 40 years. Before God used Isaiah, one of his greatest prophets, he had to break Isaiah down to the point that Isaiah said in chapter 6, woe is me. Before God could use the apostle Paul, as I've stated before, he had to break him down. It didn't matter that he had gone to the best religious university in town. It didn't mind that he was getting a graduate uh, matter that he was getting a graduate de degree under the tutelage of uh, of Gamaliel. It didn't mind. I mean, it didn't matter that Paul was in that place before God could use him. None of that that secular stuff mattered. Even though he was studying religion, he wasn't studying righteousness. And before God could use him and train him and bring him up in righteousness, he had to give him a thorn in his flesh. And that thorn, Paul said it himself, kept him from being conceited. Because the work that God was going to give Paul to do was going to be so enormous that any human being would think more of themselves than they should. 
Yeah, if he could walk in a town having never spoken the language and God gifted him with tongues enough to communicate with him, oh, that'll go to your head real fast. Yeah, if he could get bitten by vipers and still live, if he could be on shipwrecks and not drown, somebody would maybe think they had water working power, water walking power themselves. And so God had to give him something that would remind him at every turn that it's me in charge and it's not you. And so God gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being conceited. And watch this, as much as Paul talked to God, when he came to him to remove the thorn, God ignored him and would not remove it. He said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, deal with the thorn in your flesh because you also have my grace. And my grace is enough for you. And Paul said, because I now understand that God's grace is abounding in me, I will glory in my weaknesses. He said, I will glory in the power that Christ has laid upon me. Every Christian has to be broken at some point. Christ had to be broken, which is why he went to the cross. Before the blessing of his salvation could come upon this broken world, he had to go to the cross and be broken. Watch this. Vance Hovner once wrote this, that God uses broken things. You know it's true. Broken soil produces crops. Broken clouds give us rain. Broken grain gives us bread. Broken bread gives us strength. And a woman showed us in scripture through Christ's own example that a broken alabaster box can bring forth a perfume and that perfume is enough to bless the entire room. It's Peter, it's Peter who's weeping bitterly after being broken, who then becomes greater for the kingdom of God. It's him who has more power than he ever had. Not the conceited Peter who told Jesus, I'd never deny you, but it's the broken Peter, the one who realized his fallibility, who comes back and he says to him, that he'll never, ever not preach his name. So my question to you today is, are you broken today? That's not a quick question. Because if you're not broken today, today, then you need to learn how to have a relationship with God and let him turn the brokenness you have into a blessing that's not going to just help you but also everybody around you, because God uses broken things more than any other things. Yeah, oh, he does. In fact, God must break you of your self-sufficiency before he can bless you and make you a blessing to others. I know you want to be somebody else's blessing, but, but don't keep living in your misery because you refuse to let God break you. No, no, don't continue on your stubborn pathway of self-confidence and arrogance, insisting to everybody around you that there's nothing wrong with you when everybody around you knows that there really is. Don't continue in the misery you have, making everybody else around you miserable. Allow God to break you. Let him break you of your stubborn pride that life has got to be a certain way. And if it's not the way you say it's, it's supposed to be, then it's not going to be good. Let him break you of that. 
Let God, not only God, but let God's people minister to you. That's because most of us have been broken also. So we understand that no help can come without us first being broken. We know the blessing that comes from brokenness. Because the Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise that. So if you want to be blessed and you want to be a blessing to somebody else, let God break you of your self-sufficiency. Can I tell you something? Success does not equal God blessing you. Success alone is not the definition of God's favor on you. Some folk been set up for success. In fact, if they don't make it there, it's any wonder that they're doing anything right. But that doesn't mean that God is using you at your most effective level. Doesn't mean that. College doesn't equate to success. A good job doesn't equate to success. Some people got a good job because they got a good resume. That's it. It doesn't mean you're helping people. It just means you're doing your job. There's a difference. And you're in a certain position, there are things you do. But it doesn't mean that God is using you. You can arrogantly think that way, but God has a manner in which you have to be used. And unless he is the one making the call, you're still self-sufficient. Not only does he have to break you of your self-sufficiency, he also, more than that, he's got to break you of your sin. He's got to break you with the realization that you are spiritually poor. He got to bring you to the stark awareness, the awareness that you are morally bankrupt, that at the core of your being, you are deceitful and you are wicked. Come, come on now, let's bring Jacob back into the picture and let's show the conversation that God had with Jacob when he broke him. Yeah. They wrestled all night long up there. And, 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 and if you go back to verses 26 and 27 of chapter 32 in Genesis, you pick up the story and, 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 and you'll find these words. Jacob says to him, let me go for the day has broken. Excuse me, the man, said to, the man said to Jacob, let me go before, because the day has broken. And Jacob turns to him and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go. I've been wrestling all night long. Jacob has got him in a grip, can't get out of it. The man says, let me go. The day is broken. Jacob says, bless me. And I'll let you go and I won't let you go until then. And that's when the man, God, says to him, what's your name? And Jacob says to him, my name is Jacob. Now, you see that as a, ba a basic conversation. But if you break that down to what Jacob is really saying, is he's admitting that his, his name means heel grabber, usurper, deceiver. In other words, in announcing his name, he's saying what he is. He's saying, my life has been this. I've been deceitful. I've been a liar. I've been taking things that don't rightfully belong to me. This is what he's confessing in front of God. God would not end the, end the situation until Jacob confessed who he truly was. 
made him announce that he was a liar, a deceiver, and a cheat. Made him admit his own sinful, selfish ways. Verse 28, he says, your name, watch this now, I love this and you will too. After he got him to confess his sinful nature, then the man, God said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with me, and you prevail. God gave Jacob a new name, gave him a new identity, but it was only after he confessed the sinful nature of himself. Now, instead of being known as the liar and the deceiver and the usurper, he would be known as the one who struggles with God. Jacob fought against God. Now God fights for Israel. Watch this now. You don't hear me. Jacob spent all his life struggling against God, against the way God laid things out. But after God took him and broke him, after he made him confess who he was, after he knocked his hip out of joint, after he made him hear him, renamed him, now God is the one who fights for Israel. He gave him a new name and a new relationship with himself. 29 and 30 of that chapter. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Please. He said, why is it that you ask my name? And then he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the face of God. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. In other words, I looked on God's face and I lived. I looked on God's face. And I live. And so instead of death, after acknowledging his sinful ways, God gave him a new name, a new purpose, and he made him aware that he was only living by his grace. I didn't die after wrestling with the Lord. Jacob had come face to face with him, acknowledging the frailty of his own life. And now he was fit for the purpose that God wanted him to, and that was to lay a foundation. Lay a foundation for a nation. Genesis 32, 31 and 32 read this way. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip, reminded. And therefore, to this day, the people of, that is, of Israel don't eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So Jacob wrestling with him that morning, that I mean that night, and being blessed with him that day has reverberated throughout generations in how they deal with the Lord. Literally and figuratively, y'all, the sun rose on Jacob that day. Literally and figuratively. Rose in the sky, but it also rose up in his heart. The despair that he had, had all night turned into joy. And today, people remember what God did for him. He was blessed but only after he was broken in sin. I hope y'all hear me now. At some point, you and the Lord got to have a, a wrestling match. You got to come to a realization of what you are, and you can't get to what he wants you to be or what he needs you to be until you acknowledge your own self-sufficiency and your own sinful ways. You got to tell him what you really are. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the haughty, 
not the rich, not the well-educated, but those who are poor in spirit. And I love this because that one is written, written in the present tense in Matthew 5 and 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the king of, kingdom of heaven. Present tense implies that not only is the kingdom of heaven something you can have tomorrow, but because it's in the present tense, you can experience the presence of heaven today if you're willing to allow the Lord to break you and remake you. There's a blessing that comes from being broken. Only those people who are willing to admit that can receive that blessing. And so you'll find that John, the apostle John, wrote these words to his brothers and believers. He said, I, if we say that we don't have any sin, this is for y'all sitting back, rearing back, saying, I'm not the one he's talking to this morning. I came to tell you that I'm parked in front of your house. I'm pointing at your door. I'm telling you it's you, it's you, it's you. Yes, if you say you have no sin, then you're only deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. If you confess your sins and be faithful, I mean, and he's faithful to forgive you of all your unrighteousness and cleanse you. That's how it is. But you got to first confess it. Yeah, yeah, if you confess your sin. He's faithful. He'll forgive you of those sins. The Bible says that, and he'll cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. Let me tell you this as I close. Ann Ortland wrote these words. She talked about Jesus being in a home, celebrating a victory of life with some of his friends. He had been invited into the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper, so named because he no longer suffered from leprosy. He was so grateful because Jesus had healed him of his brokenness that he invited him to a dinner and he invited his friends and all manner of people came. And one of the people who came that day, you know this story, was a woman who came with a very, very expensive uh, alabaster box that was full of perfume. And the perfume, we say, it was made of pure nard, pure pure perfume. We don't use the word nard. While she was there, she loved Jesus so much that she took a very expensive box of perfume, alabaster box, and she break it, and she poured that expensive perfume all over Jesus' head. And this is what Ann Ortland had to say about that scene. She said, Christians coming to church on a Sunday morning and one by one, we march in, and we come in like separate alabaster boxes. We're contained. We're self-sufficient. We're encased. We're individually complete. The contents of our alabaster boxes are not disclosed. There is no perfume emitting from us. We are perfect alabaster boxes. We also, some of these vases look good too. In fact, some of them are the beautiful people in the community, but none of the perfume inside gets out to anybody. And we become vase conscious. That means we pay attention to other vases that look like our vases. And we interact with one another. Yeah, we are aware of the clothes or how each vase is made up and the personalities of certain vases. We're also aware of the positions certain vases have in this world. Yeah, we look only at the exterior and none of the contents of the vases ever gets to affect anybody else. 
And so before and after church, and sometimes maybe during, all we do is have vase talk. We don't talk about anything of substance, just stuff surrounding our vases. Like, I got a new exterior paint on my vase, or I got a new vehicle. Nothing that makes any difference to anybody else is the conversation. But Mary came into a setting and she broke her vase wide open. And of course, that becomes the conversation with the rest of the vases. Mary broke her vase. This was scandalous. This was shocking. It was controversial because the question becomes now, is everybody breaking their vase? Was this a vase breaking party? Or did she just do it by herself? I hope you follow me on this now. Because most of us come into a setting like church and nobody ever knows who we are because it's all contained within us. But Mary, a broken woman, came in and broke her vase and spilled her life in front of Jesus. And because she spilled her life in front of Jesus, the aroma became a blessing to other folk. Most of us just come in self-contained and we leave self-contained, never having allowing, never having or allowing the aroma of our essence to touch anybody. All the contents that Mary had were forever released. She couldn't ever hug on her precious vase anymore. Yeah. We come into church, why? Because Jesus is in us. Jesus. We call him precious. We call him exciting. We know he's life-giving. But most of us shut him up, contain him, and keep him enclosed in our lives. We never share the Jesus that's in us with anybody else because we never break our vases to let him out. And because of that, the air in our community is full of nothing. Big Floyd lived his life as a broken vase. And he allowed the aroma of that fragrance to get out and to help those around him. No matter what other folk may say, they may make his life controversial, but he was allowing his aroma to shine as a blessing in brokenness. And some of us are content to allow our alabaster vases to remain intact until we leave this earth. Nobody ever knows the essence of your smell. Nobody ever gets to see the aroma that God has for you because you protect your vase at all costs. Oh yeah, your reputation matters more. Your position matters more. And people never get blessed. All you do is talk your cold alabaster talk. And you go and you repeat that week after week after week. Can I tell you, there is a strong need in our community for broken vases. We need for folk to start shattering their vases and letting people know these boys need to know that they have a daddy who's broken his vase. Yeah, these children need to know that their father is not, a, not ashamed to break his vase. They need to know that I am not perfect. No, 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 no. I have struggled, but I have found a grace that is sufficient, and it comes only through my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
What a beautiful thing if this congregation was full of broken shards or vases, all mingling together for the first time. When we come back, we need to be a congregation of broken vases. I know it's awkward. I know it's scary to even think that people might really know all the stuff I am, all the things I used to do, that I can't hide it anymore. They know I struggle with these issues. Yeah, it's easier to keep it cold and alabaster and fully intact. It was costly for Mary to break her alabaster box. It affected her lifestyle and her living. But she found that his grace was more than sufficient. Brokenness is worth the cost. It's a blessing to you. So I ask you today to let God bless you, but he can only bless you if you're willing to be broken. But if he does bless you, church, he can bless you beyond anything that you can ever imagine. And so today I ask you, it's today, it's today the day you throw down your alabaster box. It's today the day you let Jesus fill you up with his grace and his mercy. It's today the day you stop acting like you got it all together when you know inside you're barely holding it together. It's today the day you stop trying to act like the strongest person in the world. When you're by yourself, you know all you do is weep inside and sometimes on the outside. It's today the day you stop being Superman and start living on the one who can give you grace. It's today the day. How many more days are you going to just keep that alabaster box together? Jesus had every reason just to be conceited. He was God's son, and he was willing to admit his frailties by going to the cross for us. He was willing to take on your conceitedness. He was willing to take on your pride, your prejudices. All the sin that you had, he went to the cross for. And it's because he was broken that you and I can now live in the grace that abounds. Won't you accept his gift of salvation? May God bless you today is my prayer. Keep on listening and loving, but first, be honest with yourself. Brokenness is not a bad thing when the blessing comes from Jesus.